Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me here today. I am very honoured by your presence. Uh, we are on the series of the history of, uh, the, of India and the myth of independence. Yes, it's a myth because we never got any, but slowly by slowly we will achieve that through knowledge, through healing, and and and, and joining hands to be empowered uh, with confidence. And that's this was that is what this is about. Uh, remember, we're all currents and waves. We're not labeled. We're not individual people. We're an energy field, and we flow a current after current, waves after waves. Um, and it is our duty to understand the Atwa, all that lies in between the currents that form our waves, that's Hindustan. So that's very, very important. Um, and uh, we will get right into the podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I do want to just start off with something in the news today, as you, well, the last couple of days, um, in India specifically, we know that the presidential elections are coming up and the BJP has uh, appointed um, the Honorable Draupadi uh, Murmur and the uh, UPA have elect, have taken, uh, chosen Yashwan Sinha. And uh, I, I didn't have anything particular against any of these candidates. I didn't know who, who Draupadi Murmur was. Um, but I looked up and read about her and did a little research. Obviously, there was only nice things to say about her. And I, I can't believe her calm and, and the journey that she's taken and the loss that she has to go through. Um, and I had nothing against Yeshwan Sina either. I mean, you know, um, he seemed to have been a, a great minister. Um... But then afterwards, Yashwan Sinha gave a couple of uh, interviews, uh, one interview, and uh, some uh, comments he made about a rubber stamp. How uh, he implied, alleged, he, he implied, if you watch the, um, the interview, saying that uh, Indians should not choose a rubber stamp. Uh, it was insulting, to say the least. Absolutely insulting. Um, I was stunned that even um, that it was even said. I, I was flabbergasted. Rubber stamp? How dare you? Uh, of course, he backtracked and says, "You don't understand me. You're taking it out of context." I don't mean to say that it, I'm, I'm talking about uh, Draupadi Murmur, but I'm talking about in general. Uh, the post of president is very important, and uh, Indians in whichever context should not choose the rubber stamp. But what is the context over here? It's the presidential election. You're not talking about the politics, the the 2024 elections. We're talking about the, the presidential election of 20. There are only two people there. So if they don't choose him, if he doesn't, he should not choose a rubber stamp. And obviously he doesn't mean him because he thinks he's the right candidate. Who else is there? The other, the, op- the opponent. Who's the opponent? Draupadi Murmur. And she's the rubber stamp, obviously. So he, he implied, he didn't say it, but he implied. It was low as low life as you can get. And then he said, he talked about why he left the, the BJP. He says, because they were very confrontational. Uh, they, they choose confrontation, uh, not consensus. Isn't call, isn't, is calling rubber stamp, someone rubber stamp, um, not confrontational? 
You know, like I always say, when you point the fingers at someone, you don't define who they are. But when you point the fingers at someone, you show me a mirror image of who you are. So you're calling someone confrontational and saying, oh, you do not like that. You were in, you were in the mode, you were in the beat in the Vajpayee government. Uh, and he was great. And he worked for Modi until 2018. He left and because Modi was confrontational. And but he's doing the same thing over here. Now, a presidential election... Uh, is not like a, a, a house of a parliamentary election. Uh, it's not by the you're not you're not um, you don't have uh, to go campaigning and and cheap attacks and and low life attacks and blow the belt and negative. Uh, you just have to be you. You have to be uh, presidential. You have to be above the rest. You have to join the two parties. Uh, Politics is about us versus them, but presidents is about joining everyone, having the cup of tea with everyone, not calling people rubber stamps. How do you want to be the president of the country if you call someone a rubber stamp? You think the people are going to stand by you and say, oh, well, the tomorrow they'll say, you are rubber stamp. You know why he's in the left, Yashwan Sinha now? Because his mentality fits with the left. And his mentality probably has changed. What does the left want? They want rubber stamp people to be their vote bank. Rubber stamp where they dictate... Uh, what everyone should think. They dictate what every, everyone should say. And and we have to be rubber stamp people. Rubber stamp minorities is what they want. But we are no longer rubber stamps. We are educated people. We're no longer rubber stamp minorities. Leave alone not being minorities at all. Um, we are human beings. We're not rubber stamped, but they want us to be rubber stamped, and we're moving along. And because of these menta this mentality of the godforsaken socialist Marxists and communists who, who, who walk with their noses up in the air and think that they can look down on people and call people or imply that people are rubber stamps if they don't agree with them, if they dare to challenge uh, their rhetoric and their narrative, uh, and... And, and and look down as disintegrated, dis, uh, discriminative, um, low-life people. Uh, we don't like that mentality anymore. That's why we're leaving. That's why we're not voting for the left. We're not voting anywhere for the left. Why? Except if you're in, uh, in North America and you're, you're gullible. Uh, which we all were at one point, and we, it's a rite of passage. We have to go through it in order to come out the other side. But on the Indian subcontinent, hopefully, people are moving away from this. And I know that's why they're voting BJP, because the BJP are not about being rubber stamped. The BJP is about challenging the status quo, even if it it brings about some, some confrontation in the short term. Um, I mean, why did we, we, in the long term, we'll be better? And why did they fight for independence? It was confrontational. But you can say you can say that too. Yes, the the uh, the uh, independence struggle was a bloodbath. It was confrontational. We shouldn't have done it. We should have come to a consensus. You think we would have got anywhere? If you want something in life, you have to you have to challenge. You have to you have to you have to uh, criticize. You have to 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 lift up. Uh, you have to look at different angles. You have to do the research. You have to uh, challenge a, a concept. That's confrontation by itself. You don't have to fight. You don't have to argue. You don't have to use violence. You don't have to use verbal emotional violence. But you have to you you can criticize and you have to challenge. Any challenge is a confrontation. It's not consensus. 
Um, no, but he, he dared to imply that uh, the Indians should not vote for a rubber stamp. It was below the belt. He is not presidential of a candidate for me. Obviously, I don't live on, in, on the Indian subcontinent anymore, but I, I was just flabbergasted in 2021 or 2022, you can call something for, uh, a rubber stamp. And uh, I hope that the Indian people will uh, look at him and, and tell him that, uh, you know, that when he points the fingers at someone, he doesn't define who they are, but when he points the finger at someone, he shows us a mirror image of who he is. And I, I hope um, the Honourable um, former Governor of Jharkhand will end up uh, being the uh, presidential candidate. My hat's off to her. My, uh, I, I, I respect her. I thank her for her grace. I thank her for her calmness. I thank her for her inspiration. And I hope that she can heal the wounds of the Indian subcontinent during her tenure. And she'll be a great inspiration for people of all walks of life. Um, and um, and I, I hope that she definitely wins. And she will be the right honorable uh, president of the Republic of India. And it'll be an absolute honor to all of us, even though we don't live on the subcontinent, it'll be an absolute honor to have her. Um, and and I hope you have an opinion on that too. Have the discussion, talk to your friends, discuss it, and uh, and, and take part in, in, in the... In the in the discussion, in the intellectual, uh, in the intellectual uh, junction that we are in, we can learn so much about this junction. Uh, make every junction into an intellectual laboratory, my dear friends, and heal and join your hands and and celebrate this lady. Celebrate democracy. Celebrate having a voice. Celebrate having freedom of speech. Uh, celebrate having discussions and 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 heal and today we're going to do a little bit more of that we have to go a little backward to go forward and to see where this confrontation how this confrontation led to the myth of independence um unfortunately uh but we will find that independence and we will be free so uh we're going to start off with the two nation theory uh, and the two nation theory was um we know started off in 1980, sorry, in 1888, in a, in a in a publication in a weekly magazine called Rafiq e Hind by Muharram Ali Chisti of Lahore, um, and that was where it was put down uh, officially. Uh, and and uh, even I think Sayed, um, he he. Uh, he also proposed the two-nation theory, but this was the Rafiki Hind, uh, the magazine, and the two-nation theory basically said that the Hindus and Muslims were two nations. Uh, they were not. There were two nations in one. They were not one nation. Um, and on that basis, they advanced the argument that Hindus and Muslims, uh, we should have two-nation two theory. Remember, this was the context that everyone wanted... Uh, uh, all these empires were breaking down and they all wanted city-states. They were looking for identity, individual identity, individual countries, individual kingdoms. They, they didn't really know about countries at that time in the end of the 19th century, but they were still into kingdoms and empires. But uh, they were all looking for identities at, uh, at 
the end of the 19th century, and, and, and so do people on the Indian subcontinent. This was all over the planet. Uh, empires were breaking down, and one of these uh, ideas for a new state was two-nation theories, uh, where India... Um, where the Muslims and Hindus were two nations in one. Um, a lot of people say Savarkar also uh, had this, this concept of two-nation theory, uh, but he was slightly different. He, he mentioned that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that um, India is a nation with, where within the nation we are uh, two different entities, which is, which is not wrong. I give you an idea of Canada. Okay, Canada, people think Canada is a great country from coast to coast, from uh, Vancouver to Newfoundland, in the, in the west to Newfoundland, in, in the east, and this big country. But my dear friends, Canada is two countries in one. It's French Canada and there is English Canada. French Canada is Quebec um, and New Brunswick, which is bilingual, but Quebec is a real French province. Uh, life is different in Quebec compared to the rest of English Canada. And whenever ever there are laws, there's always laws, a civil code, or uh, laws for the one for Canada, and there are laws for um, for Quebec. So Quebec, there'll be an injunction where okay, Quebec can do this, uh, Quebec can do that, and and or Quebec will have it except Quebec, and you'll always have a law exception Quebec because it's two nations in one. And when you think about Canada, we don't think the same. Yes, there are geographical reasons why we don't think the same, but ideological reasons, um, Quebec will think differently, completely different. When you come to Quebec, it's like a different country. And people say, uh, everything's different. The financial, well, it's not drastically different, but there are financial laws that are different. There are civil codes that are different. Um, there are political laws that are different. There's, there are two countries in one. There's French Canada and there's English Canada. And whenever you say ask a question, you always ask where, which province. And when you say Quebec, ah, okay, well, Quebec is different. We're not the same. And it's always this break in, 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 this, in this mindset. It's not a negative thing. It works out. It can be very difficult when we have the referendum and, and people want to separate. But there's also good points to it. Uh, Quebec is also the only province in Canada where you get married, you don't change your name, your last name. And this has been going on, if I'm not mistaken, from the 80s, but I'm not 100% sure of when. But yeah, you don't change your last name. Um, and so, yeah, there are nations with two nations in one. Belgium has two nations in one. Uh, you have the Flanders, I think. One is the... Uh uh, one is the French-speaking side and one is the Flinders-speaking side. I don't know what the other language. Uh, and that was a debate always with two the two French tennis players, Kim Kleisters, who was non-French-speaking, uh, and you had Justin Enin, who was the French-speaking one. There was always this debate uh, on on uh, are you rivals or you you uh, you are. Um, compatriots. So yes, two nations. There are many countries with two nations in one. It's not a wrong thing, but if it goes really bad, then it can and cause genocide, which is exactly what happened. So um, basically, the two-nation theory comes about during... Um, uh, comes about uh, starting with 1888. Um, it also brought a controversy with, Hind with Hindi and Urdu. Okay, um, and there were many versions of it. Many people had their own version of the two-nation theory. Um, in Uttar Pradesh, uh, 
the demand for Hindi as a language in in UP uh, can gain a lot of support during this time. Uh, previously, under the 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 um, Mughals, Persian Persian was their official language. Um, the Muslims only constituted about fifteen percent, plus or minus fifteen percent, um, and uh, yeah, uh, the the Muslims revolted obviously during this time, in, in, during the later nineteenth century. Uh, Sir Syed passed away, uh, but they were still about fifteen percent of the population. But they had sixty-four percent of the jobs, my dear friend. Sixty-four percent of jobs, fifteen percent of the population. Obviously, there's going to be an uprising. Um, uh, after that, Hindi was in, in, put into uh, uh, after eighteen fifty-seven. Hindi uh, was put in uh, as a language in which the Muslims. Um, by that time, the, the the strength of the Muslims working in the province reduced, obviously. But even then, there were a lot more percentage of jobs attributed to the Muslims compared to the um, Hindus. But um, Hindi was then introduced, and, and more and more Hindi-speaking people got jobs. Um, there were there were uh, also so that that uh, spurred on the debate for two nations. Uh, there was Lala Rajpatrai, uh, who uh, his father converted to Islam and then converted back, uh, but he asked for partition because um, it was in response to the rights. If people know about the rights, I think we've been talking about it recently, but uh, it's never talked about in our school books, obviously, because it's controlled by the Indian National Congress and their uh, lobbies, the Islamic and Christian lobbies. Um, so um, there was a massive riot or gruesome genocide in of the Hindus in Kohat, a new uh, northwestern frontier province. Um, and that really brutalized everyone, and the fear and the shock and the trauma led to Lala Rajput, right? asking um, for a separate Hindu-Muslim state. Uh, the Hindu Mahasabha was against this, obviously. Uh, they were completely against um, two nations because they wanted Akhand Bharat. Um, and Akhand Bharat was a thing where you have, I think we all know, a Bharat from uh, Bay of Bengal all the way to Afghanistan, northwest northwest frontier, northwest frontier province. Um, um, and of course, they wanted one big nation. Um, of course, uh, then you had the RSS. Uh, but the Muslim versions uh, of this were. Um, they wanted an Islamic state based on Islamic socialism and socialist um, principles. This was someone called the Kerry Brothers of Delhi famously presented this idea. Uh, the uh, head of the Aga Khan Ismaili Shia, Sir Aga Khan, wanted a Muslim, uh, an idea of a Muslim state-like entity comprising not only India, but he wanted also Afghanistan, possibly Persia, uh, and other Muslim societies within the uh, uh, within the empire, within the British Empire. So he wanted the British Empire to have a dominion and put 
provide the security and the, and the military from the outside, which is nice and dandy, and we stay nicely on the inside. Of course, he wanted, he was the head of the Shias, so he wanted Afghanistan, which a lot of Shias there, um, he wanted Iran a little bit, uh, and that was his idea of uh, two-nation theory. I mean, it was, I, I, I was laughing when I read this the first time. Um, of course, then you had, um, um, the Hindus absolutely did not want this at all. Um, we had Alama Iqbal, the Muslim poet who was pro-India. Um, he studied in Cambridge. Um, he was, well, not for or against. Um, in his early youth, he, he was a proponent of Indian nationalism and even used to sing, sing praises of Hindu Lord Ram, calling him Imam He Hind. Um, he studied in Europe uh, a little bit. Uh, and he was not, um, well, he, he had a vague idea of a Muslim nation and a separate Muslim state um, at, the, at the Muslim League. Uh, in Allahabad, uh, but he he didn't want the he he then then at that point did not want the Indian nation based on territory. Okay, so if he didn't want it on territory, what did he want it on? Okay, did he want it? Obviously, he wanted it on ideology. Um, of course, then you had uh, the Punjabi uh, Muslim um, called Rahmat Ali. Uh, if you don't know who, who he is, it'll be great to look it up. He was the first one who proposed Pakistan. Um, in 1933, he was, uh, in 1930s, he was studying in Cambridge in England. In 1933, uh, he and some other students produced a pamphlet, Now or Never, in which he proposed a separate Muslim state called Pakistan, which considered of the northern provinces of India um, and the adjacent uh, provinces. So Punjab, Af Afghan, Afghanistan, Afghania, Northwest Fr Frontier Province, obviously, Kashmir, Sin, and Baluchistan. So the three words P-A-K is Punjab, Kashmir, uh, Punjab, Afghania, and, and Kashmir. Um, and, and that was where it came from. Um, we don't know what I is, but I'm presuming I is India, you know, the Indus, uh, because they wanted a big part of India, okay, uh, for themselves. Um, at the end, uh, at this time, Jinnah was against partition, okay? He did not want partition. He was not for partition at all. So partition was not even in, in the books. He, did not, he didn't even think about part partition. Um, at this point, he was completely against this. He was. He said, Jinnah was against the of the of the emotion that the best thing that uh, the British did for India was put India together. Now you want to break it up? He he was he his credentials were Hindu Muslim uni unity until even at this point, and we're talking of 1933. Um, of course. The Pakistan started, this is where in the 1933 the idea of Pakistan came about. Um, and and, and, and Jinnah didn't want Rahmat Ali at all, refused to meet him because he, he was so impressed. He, he was very proud of his credentials of Hindu-Muslim uh, unifier. 
Um, he wanted Urdu to be the language of Pak. Pak meant pure and pious. Okay, obviously it was going to be on an Islamic ideology, but it meant pure and pious, and Urdu was going to be a language. At that point, Bengal was not in on the table as a, as part of the Muslim state, as part of Pakistan. So the fact that Bengal spoke Bengali didn't really matter to them. Um, and he was on the. Uh, he was on the premise that Hindustan or Hinduism was a racist religion. Congress was a Hindu party. Um, and he refused to, he opposed the Indian Federation to be part of the Indian Federation. Um, he also wanted, Ramat Ali wanted Southern India to be comprised of the southern, uh, the, the Dravidian languages, the Dravidian speaking states, to be one different country completely and to be separate from the Aryan speaking, Hindi speaking on the, uh, in the north. He, he wanted the Aryan speaking, the Hindi speaking people, he absolutely despised them uh, and wanted them to be sandwiched between the south and the north, uh, obviously uh, the Pakistanis, the Muslims in the north, and obviously a small part for the, uh, for the uh, Aryans in, 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 the, in the center. Uh, that's what his idea was. I mean, I'm laughing at this, but if goodness and you think that pakistan's coming now coming down now uh, i look at the, i look at the news every day and i can i'm i'm just going oh my god this is not going to be very easy and to think of all these people with the foundation of, of pakistan oh my god no wonder they're not going anywhere um Jinnah would later take from these ideas but at this point very clearly Jinnah was against this uh, he he was he he did not um, he, he, he was completely against this. Um, but he was again of the opinion that India was losing faith in Great Britain and he wanted, he wanted independence for all of India, but he knew that he, he did not want to be part. He wanted separate uh, communities in, in, in between or separate electorate, separate states within the Indian Dominion. He had no faith in Gandhi. He did not, he despised Gandhi. He despised Nehru and his, in his socialism, um, and he he wanted he wanted Indian in a Hindu Muslim unity, and he wanted there to be some sort of dominion where the the British would look after them and and maintain the the order of the state, uh, military, constitutional. But uh, he he so he said, okay, we're so great, we're so pure, but we can look after ourselves. We want the British to look after us and do our dirty work that we can do while we fight with each other which was really, really stupid. This is a flat earth mentality. Oh, I'm so great, but uh, yeah, I do know that I'm not as great as I like to propose, propose but for my rhetoric, I'll use the, the supremacist ideology. Uh, but that was, you know, uh, what can I say? Uh, Nothing's going to work on the, on the Indian subcontinent or anywhere in this world if we have labels, okay? Very, very clear because we're currents and waves. Try putting a label on a wave and saying, okay, well, you do this and I'll do that. And you move from here and I'll move from there. No, because we're a magnetic field. We're magnetic energy. When the labels are just a, a, an ideology, it's a perception of our minds. Um, and so that was uh, Jinnah in the 1930s. Um... He, Jinnah, okay, Jinnah 
warned the British, okay, that his their wrong policies alienated the locals of Hindustan, the Hindustanis, uh, and, and they, it was not good, and, and the, the Hindustanis, the Indians were revolting, but at the same time, um, in, in the company, in, in, in the soldiers during, for the army, um, they had common kitchens in the, armful, in the British army uh, companies, in the British company arm, um, armed forces and their barracks, they had common kitchens. And he did not want the British to have common kitchens, okay? Because he said uh, this would uh, enable them to socialize together, dine together, and build a friendship. Um, so basically, on one side, he did not. He wanted. He he, he said that uh, he was against the Hindus. He went against. Uh, sorry, he was against the uh, Jinnah. Um, he was against Nehru. He was against uh, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. He wanted separate states, separate electorate. He did not want the, the Muslims to be in on on the Hindu side. He wanted to be the sole um, sole person for speaker for all Muslims in India and he wanted to uproot the Muslims and put them only in Muslim states but uh, at the same time he he talked about Hindu-Muslim unity uh, he said he he proposed that the British were against all Hindustanis and then he says oh no but uh, we should not have uh, common kitchens because it'll build friendship so he really didn't care about uh, he didn't really care about Hindu-Muslim unity he wanted power this guy wanted power. He was so uh, personally depressed on the inside. People with trauma on the inside will continue having trauma on the outside. And this depression of his life with his family, with his ex-wife, with his wife who passed away, uh, led to him being uh, coming back uh, later on in 1934 uh, from the United Kingdom because he had, he had left to go to the United Kingdom for a while. Um, and he, he really didn't care about unity. He wanted power and he he just wanted to get away from, from Nehru and Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. And it was uh, it was just hypocrisy big time. What can I say? Um, the other side he was obviously, you know, pointing fingers at, at the at um, at the British calling them uh, um, you know segregationist, uh, fierce racial and re religious um, problems, um, anti-religion laws. Um, he, he was across the board, all 360 degrees, he was firing on all cylinders. Now remember this time, we're still in the 1930s, um, sorry, we're still in the 1920s and, and 30s and, and Jinnah did not want uh, a separate state. Um, the Indians, Indian National Congress wanted to represent all of India. They wanted to be the soul of India. Jinnah wanted to represent all Muslims. He did not want one Muslim leader to talk over him. Basically, he wanted to be the caliph for, for South Asian Muslims. That's what he wanted to be, the caliph. Uh, he... His every goal, every uh, speech was about he was going to be the sole speaker for the Indian Muslims. And, and that's why a lot of people, a lot of Muslims went on the, in the Congress side because they said, why should we give up a power for a man that we don't agree with? Why should we be uprooted for another, um, for a person who, who 
who we are not interested, we don't agree with, uh, who eats pork, who drinks alcohol, uh, who dresses in Western clothes, and, and why should we have to agree with him? Uh, who, who is he to ask us that we should give up our power to him? Um, and that was the contention on the inside. Um, um, at this time, the All India, um, All India Muslim League were a bunch of elites. Okay, they were only they were few and far between. There were not many people. They were not the big grassroots movement that happened that uh, ended up in the 1940s. They were still a, a, elitism. They were elite nobles, descendants of nobles, nobles of the Mughal era, um, and and not many people gave them any heed. Uh, and even the British did not consider them uh, of any importance at that point. The British were only talking to Mahatma Gandhi and, and Nehru. Um, and in 1930, however, the Congress formally declared Purna Swaraj as their prime objective for freedom in India, uh, for freedom from the British, um, which... Uh, which at that point, Maha um, Jinnah was not very happy. He he knew that we were not ready for independence. It's great to ask for independence. It's great to say I want to get married and move into my husband, but I if I don't have any money to buy a house, to build a house, to pay for rent, how, how am I going to get married? What's the use if I can't even pay for the wedding? So uh, it's great to have independence, but we were not ready for the independence. It's basically what it was. Uh, da, uh, Mahatma Gandhi calls the Dandi March in the 1930s, um, um, involving a 241-mile-long salt march on um, in, on the 20th of March 1930 from the coastal village of Dandi uh, in Gujarat to protest the British imposed tax on salt extracted from seawater. A lot of people joined him. Um, and, and many um, many people from all walks of life joined him. Um, in 1931, we had the first roundtable conference um, took place in London. The Congress leaders, the British jailed the Congress leaders for the Dandi March, obviously. Um, so the Muslim representation was 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 huge at that in this conference. Um, and Jinnah at that point decided to stay in London, not come back. Uh, his wife has passed away, and he was—he had—he um, was not finding life easy on the Indian subcontinent uh, in the Muslim League. Although he thought that, um, you know, he—it was going to be uh, people were going to agree with his ideas. It was going to be a smooth sailing, but obviously, uh, it was not. Even within the Muslim League, there were people who were who wanted. Um, to be to put him down or not put him down in the sense that want to challenge his leadership for for the league and he was not very happy so when he went to England he stayed on and did not come back for another four years I think if I'm not mistaken um, and and that was it when it came to um, um, Jinnah for a while um, his idea still. Uh, carried on, on on the Indian subcontinent within the Muslim League. Um, in 1931, we had Bhagat Singh, the 23rd of March, uh, his execution. Um, and Mahatma Gandhi, uh, opposed to violence, um, Bhagat Singh was uh, wanted to use violence um, against, the, the, against the British, obviously. 
Um, Mahatma Gandhi was opposed to violence, but he was asked to make a statement and plead for mercy for Bhagat Singh, and he did write to the Viceroy of India um, on the 23rd of March, um, but it was of no avail. Um, the original uh, hanging of of, Mahat, of Bhagat Singh was supposed to take place on the 23rd, on 24th, um, but they carried it out several hours later, earlier on the 23rd, and there he went, uh, Bhagat Singh, unfortunately. He paid the price for, um, for us, literally, and to people, uh, to him and to people like him, although we're against violence, we, we don't propose violence, we wish we, he didn't have to use violence, but people of this generation fought for a, a cause, um, and because of them we have freedoms and opportunities we enjoy today, so it's, so it, it is, it is a moment where I will take off my hat and say thank you, um, and pause for a little moment, um, to ponder and to think of uh, what we can learn from them, what we can um, improve, how we can use that junction as an intellectual laboratory for the plus and the minus to heal and to move on and to be better people today. Um, we go to the British and the Congress. Uh, the Congress was becoming more and more socialist at this point. Okay, They were really, really a socialist power, they were influenced by Nehru and, and the Marxist movement in, in Soviet Russia, and the British did not like the Congress at all. Uh, they found them to be radical, they found them to be a menace, they did not like Mahatma Gandhi. The only reason why they didn't do anything against um, against Mahatma Gandhi, because he preached non-violence. If he had taken up uh, guns or ammunition or, you know, weapons, they would have put him behind bars uh, permanently. Uh, but he was non-violent. He preached a non-violence, and that's why he was tolerated. Um, uh, and but the British absolutely did not like him at all. Um, and and absolutely. So all this time, and this is the British and the Congress. Um, the Congress also was involved, my friends, uh, for people who don't know. Um, the Congress was involved in violence, communal rights. Um, although it was from the back door, a lot of people, obviously, they never talked about it. They talked about peace and they used Gandhi as a, Mahatma Gandhi as a PR campaign manager. But uh, they were involved uh, and the allies um were involved in secret what can I say communal events um and communal approach um in their rhetoric also um during this time they pro they they implied that the Mahatma Gandhi was trying to divide the the um, the Congress and they were trying to divide Hindustan into Hindus uh, into caste. But look, we were already a bunch of caste. We were already a bunch of tribes and, and communities. There was no way you can divide any further. The, the, the British. This is absolutely the wrong. Um, the myth that was put across. Oh, they tried to divide us. You can't divide a current in a wave. It's our currents that are forming the waves. We're already divided. We're already sectarian. We're already so many 
uh, tribes and, and a vortex and a confluence of, of tribes and of energy field, uh, waves, currents and waves, you, you can't divide that even though ment mentally, even if you think it, it's not going to happen. Um, however, um, Jinnah at this point is still in, in, um, in uh, England. And there were contenders for his place uh, of, uh, of head of, of the Muslim League. And they one by one, they started dying. And Jinnah was... Uh, uh, so Jinnah really didn't have any, any contention, any, any contenders for his place. And in 1934, he, he comes back um, approximately to the Indian subcontinent. Uh, but he is still at this point, he refuses to meet Ramat Ali, he refuses for the two-nation theory, he is still uh, very, very much, um, very, very much um, Hindu-Muslim uh, within the dominion of the British Raj. Um, in 1935, my friends, we had a very important uh, uh, point, uh, event that happens, the 1935 Government of India Act. All those who, who are aware, we studied it in school. Uh, some of the points, India was to be a federation comprising of provinces directly under British suzerainty, as well as, as princely states. The right to vote went from 2 million to 35 million. Uh, the governor general was to be the head, uh, remain in head of uh, the administration and enjoy powers concerning administration, legislation and finance. In inclusion of princely states in the proposed federation added a new twist as it required princes to join in voluntarily. Um, uh, the provinces were given autonomy with respect to the subjects. Um, and the communal award was mod modified by the Pune Act became basis of separate representation for different groups. So what is the communal award? Basically, uh, during this time of the 1935 uh, India Act, um, the 1935 Government of India Act, basically it was uh, the okay to, to, to continue representation of the different ethnicities, uh, the uh, the tribals, the people, whoever was involved on the Indian subcontinent, give them separate representation, give their own leadership uh, representation based on, on, on their community. Uh, so that was the co communal award, um, and um, which is what we call a separate electorate. Uh, it started off with that, and slowly it has moved to the communal award, and it has come to where we are today. So when I, when I say the currents that form our waves, uh, it's important to understand that the British didn't do this for um, to separate India, for divide and rule of India. They did it for um, administrative purposes because they were asked by the Indians, the locals on the ground, starting with uh, Muslims on the, in the Muslim side. Uh, there was no Muslim League at that point. But uh, it was the Muslims who asked for this, um, and and thereby it was it was them who proposed it. And because um, uh, the, the Muslims on the on the subcontinent enjoyed a patronage with with uh, the British with British India, because when the British first came, uh, 
it was Mughal India that was uh, in, on rule of the Indian subcontinent. And so they took over once the, the Mughal kingdom came down. They took over, they allied with their proxy states, with their vessel states, with the smaller kingdoms fallout of the British, of the Mughal empire. And that alliance and the patronage uh, that they enjoyed continued into the British rule. Um, so yes, um, at, at this point, um, I lost my train of thought, sorry. Uh, yes, spare me here. I, I absolutely lost my train of thought. So it was, yes, the communal award, uh, the separate electorates were asked of by the Muslim uh, groups and was given and that finally became the communal award and then that finally then became uh, in, uh, Pakistan and India. Um, very, very important. Um, the position of the princely states left no doubt that as long as the princes were not willing to join the federation, India's integration as a one coherent political order or political system was highly impossible. Uh, and this was uh, one of the fallouts of the 1935 Government of India Act. Um, from here onwards, Nehru absolutely goes more and more towards socialism. Okay, he is influenced uh, by the by the Soviet Union, um, and it is not taken lightly by the uh, people on the ground, uh, the industrialists, the people who finance the British, uh, finance the. Um, um, Indian National Congress, because you can have a political party, but you need money for it. Um, no, you can't just say, I want freedom, and oh yes, everything's going to come down, you have to eat, you have to move from one side to the other side, you have hartals, mulchers, uh, you have to be represented in, uh, by lawyers, all of this takes money. Uh, and they had finances, like like you have lobbies now, they had finances, and a lot of these finances were big industrialists. Um, and obviously, they they were not very happy that that um, that they wanted more and more socialism. Um, they were completely against uh, Nehru. Um, the Lucknow presidential address of Nehru was by no means representative of the multi-class social composition. Uh, of the Indian National Congress. The powerful industrialists who backed the Congress in the Birlas um, mounted a campaign against Nehru uh, because obviously he was against, uh, you know, socializing everything, bringing down the government control, uh, which was not going to work. Um, there were people in, in the Indian National Congress who were against this. Um, the socialism, Sardar Patel, Rajendra Prasad, Ram Gopalachari, uh, Arya uh, Acharya Kir, uh, Kirpalani, they resigned in 1936 against the protest and uh, it was Gandhi who, uh, who persuaded them to withdraw their resignations. Um, but this this caused many fractions, and again, there was no introspection done. We have spoken about when Jinnah left the Indian National Congress. The Indi they did not introspect. They did not ask what, why, how can we change, how can we uh, get better. Um, when they became more and more socialist, uh, there was a lot of uprisings. People uh, bring they formed more and more wings in the Congress, and more and more people left. They did not introspect even at this point. Um, 
So there were differences between, at this point, the Indian National Congress and the Indian, all India Muslim League, okay? Um, Nehru and the Indian National Congress considered communal categorization, okay, communal representation, uh, separate electorates, uh, all of this. Categor categorically, he said, no, not acceptable. Uh, but the All India Muslim League, led by Jinnah, uh, considered it an objective and an essential approach to the politics and the future of India. So while Nehru wanted nothing of that sort. He wanted to be the soul of India. He wanted the Congress to be one size fits all, uh, a, a totalitarian state controlled by the center, um, just like a, just like a socialist state, which is a modern way of feudalism. Um, and obviously, um, Jinnah and the All India Muslim League, uh, who ruled, uh, who were descendants of the Mughal Raj, Delhi Sultanate, the Arabs uh, invaders. Uh, who ruled this land for a huge part of the last thousand years, they were not going to accept that, and they should have known better. Uh, so in 1936-1937, we had provincial elections, um, with Jinnah toured um, all over India, addressing the Muslim people, um, and opposing, obviously, uh, the 1935 Act, although a lot of the, of the points in the 1935 Act come from the Lucknow Pact of Jinnah of 19, uh, yeah, in the early 1900s. Um, but the provincial elections were held. On the 25th of August, uh, the, the Congress Party um, announced its election manifesto. And for them, it was Purna uh, Swaraj, um, it, it, it was against the communal award, that means communal representation of, um, of the British, of the Government of India Act. Um, they also, of, in their manifesto, of fundamental rights that were given, freedom of expression, freedom of expression and belief and conscious, culture, language, script of all minorities and all different linguistic areas, shall be protected, equal rights for all citizens before the law without reference to religion, caste or sex never happened uh, because religion was on our passports, uh, no person shall be deprived of liberty including property save and according to the law, um, the state shall observe neutrality in regard to all religions never happened because behind the scenes they let the Christians and the Islamic lobbies buy them out, uh, a bunch of uh, thieves uh, socialist uh, anyway I don't even want to say anything anymore about them the franchise shall be on, on basis of universal adult franchise there shall be no capital punishment never happened um, so that was their manifesto uh, the Muslim League didn't really do well because the Muslim League was an elite party uh, without any ma mass movement, without any grassroots movement, uh, and the, the Congress was completely the opposite of the grassroots party. The reason for this was um, Muhammad Ali Jinnah believed that grassroots movement, Satyagraha, uh, led to anarchy, led to uh, emotions, people who were, who were um, 
who were not trained, people who were emotional, people who were angry, to all come out and vent their anger in these mass movements, and it became turned into anarchy. Uh, and so he wanted to do it a constitutional way because he was a constitutional, uh, he was an advocate. Um, so obviously the Muslim League did not do well at these elections. Uh, the elections were, uh, results were announced in 1937. The Congress did well in the Hindu majority provinces, winning 711 seats, general seats out of 1585. 93% um, of the Muslim majority provinces were, um, Sorry, in 711 general seats out of 1835, it contested 58 reserved seats for Muslims, but only 26 out of, out of which 17 were in the northwest frontier provinces. Uh, the Muslim League fared miserably in the Muslim majority provinces, uh, winning only two seats in Punjab, um, and none in Sindh and northwest frontier province. The Congress, too, did not win enough um, it reserved the Muslim seats to make its claim credible that it represented, represented Muslims as well. On the other hand, Muslim League did modestly well in, in uh, Hindu majority provinces. Its performance in Bengal was not too bad. It won 40 seats out of 117 reserved for Muslims. Altogether, it won 108 mus uh, reserved Muslim seats out of a total of 484. Um, so you understand until this point, they were not, they were an elite party. They really were not going anywhere. Uh, they were not, uh, connecting with the masses and all was not looking good. And this, my dear friends, was 1937. They had not yet proposed Pakistan at this point. Um, um, and well, after these elections, Jinnah made a statement in the press, we are a group ready to cooperate with any group or party if the basic principles are determined on our, co on our common interests. So um, Jinnah realized he was going nowhere, so he had to form an alliance with people um, and different groups, and, and that's when it happened. Um, so after that, um, after the 1937 debacle, um, obviously the Congress won, so they're going to have a, you know, um, uh, an ego problem, and Nehru went on the offensive, saying the Muslim League was rejected because it was a party of pro-British landowners. Uh, oof, they, it was not, it was not going to go down well. Um, <laughs> it, in a way it was true because it had no grassroots movement, absolutely none. It was supported by these industrialist big landowners, the Muslim League. These, so they couldn't even say, the Muslim League could not say, like, like go into socialism because all the big landowners were giving them money. And when they gave them money, uh, they were not going to take the land away. Um, they had never approached the Muslim uh, poor in the past, and its membership and leadership was down, drawn only by... Elite citizens, professionals, um, and the upper crust of society. Um, so Nehru said there was no real Hindu-Muslim pro problem in India. It was just a narrative, it was a perception of our mind, and the communalism was a divisive ideology. Uh, 
but they worked the Hindu-Muslim problem. They worked it into the mindsets. They worked it into our lives, uh, and they broke the the, the problem apart. Uh, they broke it apart. Um, Nehru did not see it coming. Nehru was not willing. Nehru and the Indian National Congress were not willing to uh, to rework the ideology. Understanding there were problems, there were factions, there was sep uh, uh, separatism, uh, segregation. There were different communities, and it, that obviously leads to clashes and different opinions. He. Indian National Congress, one size fits all. We are going to be the party and who lead uh, the Indian national, the Indian subcontinent. They could see the finish line. They could see power. They were hungry, lust for power. We wanted to be the soul of India when they knew very well that there were many other groups, political groups on the Indian subcontinent who did not agree with the Indian National Congress at that particular point. Um, and they were not the soul of India, but they tried to impose their soul on us, which is something that they're still doing today. They keep with that same rhetoric, we are secular, we're united, and everyone else is the problem. But you, everyone else cannot be the problem for 120 years, my friend. Everyone else cannot be the problem. Your, your problem starts with you. Your problem starts on the inside and then flows on the outside. It's your currents that form the waves. So for 130 years, 120 years, you've been pointing, you're going around the circle, 360 degrees. You don't look outside. You just, you just stay there and pretend, oh, well, I'm going to win all my matches. It's not going to work. One day you're going to fall down. And if you do not look at the different angles and how you can integrate the in, uh, angles into each other, uh, you'll die out, which is exactly what is happening right now. Uh, this is 1937. We are today 19, 2022, almost 100 years later, and they're doing exactly the same thing. They have not changed. Um, you know what I say? Well, continue. It's too late now, and really, we don't really care about them anymore. Um at least I don't. I'm sorry. Um, so basically, it did not work well for, for Jinnah at this point. Um, the Congress at this point asked in 1937 that the elected Muslim League members should resign from the League and join the Congress that the Muslim League Parliamentary Party Board should be wound up and it should no longer nominate any candidates for any elections. Uh, he was going all guns, uh, Pandit Nehru. Uh, and of course, Jinnah was not going to take that line down. Um, the British too depended on the support of landowners and among, the, among them Muslims were a significant component. The government understood uh, understandably approved uh, of a bill not extending to um, to agricultural land. Um, so basically, that was it for 1937. Um, reforms at that point were needed uh, for agriculture and agricultural land, and there was crushing, crushing debt, but. Did not go very very well in anywhere because all these big landowners who were under either uh, the British rule, uh, who allies with the British, uh, allies with uh, the Muslim League. They were funding the Muslim League. Obviously, there were the lobbies as we call today, and no one was going to do anything, any laws. And the small farmer was crushed, being crushed on the debt. Um, 
so from communitarism, uh, community, okay, commun communitarism, that means communities, various con communities living in their segregation, segregated parts, or what we call ghettos today, okay? It, it transformed into communalism. Now, we know that we live in tribes, uh, we live in tribes, we live in communities, we live in, uh, in, in villages, and people of villages are by and large all of the same, uh, all of the same um, mentality, the same caste, the same, uh, same uh, lineage. Um, they could be varieties, they could be up and down, different, different groups, but by and large you're looking, uh, when they live in communities, they're basically of the same culture, um, linguistic set, um, religious sect. Uh, but when you when you live in ghettos and you listen to the echoes of your own voice, at one point that echoes of your own voice will become com communal. Okay, and that's exactly what happened at this point of time. Um, and and slowly by slowly, it now is taking a very negative and dangerous turn, and this dangerous turn is called um, would lead to the eventual genocide during uh, partition. Um, so in order to uh, counter um, Muhammad, um, Nehru and the Indian National Congress because the Muslim League were losing, um, he, Jinnah also went into the offensive and called, um, called the Indian National Congress the Hindu Raj. Hindu Rashtra, Hindu Raj, everything that the, the Congress is now telling the BJP, it was Jinnah who was telling um, Nehru and the Indian National Congress. Uh, he went completely on the offensive using caste, uh, which was the real uh, burden and the Dalit groups and and, uh, and old untouchables. He was using this lock, stock and barrel to hit back at Nehru and the Indian National Congress who was going on the offensive because they won the 1937 uh, provincial elections. Um, Jinnah also wanted something very important. Um, should I say not Jinnah? Um, but at this point, uh, a Bengali leader, A.K. Fazal Haq, wrote about his visits to several Congress ruled provinces and reported that the Congress politicians were acting aggressively towards Muslims. In concrete terms, the main policies that were denounced included Muslim uh, mass contact campaigns, singing of Vande Mataram for Muslims um, at national, national songs in school, introduction in the Varda scheme of education known as the Vidya Mandar scheme, the hoisting of the Congress flag instead of the Union Jack over government buildings and restrictions on cow slaughter. So this was going on, uh, but the Muslims uh, were against this. So we see that happening even today. Uh, a lot of mullahs are telling the uh, madrasa school people the people in mosque going to mosque do not use the Indian flag uh, do not sing Vande Mataram do not say Bharat Mata Ki Jai um, do not do not do not um, stay away from uh, uh, Hindus stay away from the Kufar um, we are not Hindus, we're not uh, Hindus, we do not say Bharat Mata Ki Jai, uh, instigating to stay far away, to segregate themselves from the Kufar, we should not mix with the Kufar, we should not eat, eat with the Kufar, and this, all this was there in, 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 uh, for independence, practiced uh, by the Indian, by the Muslims, and uh, 
spurred on, I should say, by the Indian Muslim League, not necessarily only uh, by them. Um, but this was going on back then. So they, they did not like that the Muslims were seeing Vande Mataram um, in, in Congress rule state. Uh, the Congress didn't think anything of it. Um, today, the Muslims, the, the Muslim uh, uh, communities are not all, but those who are highly, uh, highly insular uh, are doing the same thing, and the Congress are protecting them. Back then, in, in the 1930s, Jinnah made a noise, and, and the Congress was doing it. Uh, the Congress was asking everyone to sing one day Matram to raise the Indian flag, which was the Congress flag, uh, not to put the, the Union Jack on the buildings. And that was seen as secular. Today, BJP is asking the people to do the same thing, uh, but the BJP is communist, communal, and, and the Indian National Congress, who's supporting the, all the Muslims on the Indian subcontinent or in, on India, who are doing everything to... to, to partition India to join, draw the wedge, to use minorities as wedge, to divide us between Kafir and non-Kafir, uh, Bharat Mata and, and, and um, Alam Abdullah, um, you know, Santan se, sar, uh, Sirvatan se, Santan se juda hua hai, um, drive that wedge, and now BJP is communal, but the, the Indian National Congress is secular. Isn't that great, my dear friends? Um, from 1937 onwards, uh, because of the death of elected members, the ulama wanted to introduce in Islamic terms and Islamic arguments to present standpoints for and for against the Congress and for the Muslim League. So they knew at this point that they were not winning. They were not going anywhere, so they had to turn their, their, their restructure their, their narrative, and they had to use at this point, uh, if they did not use, um, re restructure their plan to get what they want, uh, either separate electorates, either separate states within the Dominion, or complete Pakistan, they were not going to go anywhere, but they had to change their strategy, and from then onwards, the ulama wanted at this point... Um, they started using the Islamic terminology uh, on the ground and um, and to fight against the Indian National Congress. Um, so um, there was one Ashraf Ali Tanvi who argued that although joining the Congress itself was not against Islam, for Muslims to join any political organization, um, it was imperative that the supremacy of Islam was guaranteed, my friend. Yes, uh, they had to be on top of everyone. They cannot be part of other groups and they cannot be below other groups. Islam was supremacist and the supremacy of Islam had to be guaranteed. Very, very important. Uh, that was what they wanted at that point. Um, Additionally, non-Muslims had to be in a position of subservience in the organization. Isn't that great? And now these people are calling themselves victims. I'm sorry, my friends, you're not victims. This has been going on. This supremacy is now back, though, but it's still going on, and it hasn't changed from before independence. So uh, who, who's the real who's the real H-word over here? Who's, who's the victim here, and who's the H-word? Um... So that was basically uh, 1937. Um, the Muslim League was 
absolutely determined to oppose the Congress rule, and Jinnah managed to set a motion in rhetoric, uh, a motion um, to campaign against it. Um, Jinnah met uh, with Pandit Nehru uh, several times after that to look at commonalities and, and see where they could agree on. Um, but one thing that came out of there, um, Jinnah, uh, Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru uh, in '38 wrote to Jinnah to take up some of his demands, uh, which was Jinnah's 1929 14-point plan. Uh, the Congress agreed to withdraw opposition to communal award, that means uh, segregate, separate, separate electorate, separate states based on uh, religion um, and ethnicity, and not describe it in negation of nationalism. Okay, that means not go against this uh, this ideology um, of the Muslim League uh, and and take it in as part of the national movement against the British. Um, they were willing to share uh, the share of the Muslims in state services would be fixed by a commission. Um, Muslim law, uh, personal law, and culture, which would be guaranteed by statute. Uh, the Congress should use moral pressure to enable Muslims to gain. Uh, possession of uh, the mosque in Lahore. Um, um, the Muslims' right to call azan and perform religious ceremony should not be fretted in any way. Um, this referred to some villages in, in Lahore where the Sikhs were allegedly preventing them to call prayers. Muslims would have the right to slaughter cows, so Mahatma, so Pandit Nehru gave that to them in order for their, their alliance. Uh, in provinces where Muslims were majority, any territorial re re redistribution should not affect their majority. Uh, One day Mataram as a song was to be abandoned. Thank you to uh, socialist Marxist um, Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru. Uh, one side they they asked for secularism and uh, unity, and the other side said, "Oh no, no one they uh, Muslims wanted Urdu as a national language of India, and the desire that through statute, statutory guarantees the use of Urdu would not be damaged or curtailed, uh, and the tricolor should be a, should be changed, or the flag of the Muslim League should alternately be given equal importance." Um, that, my dear friend, was the 1930s, um, and unfortunately, um, there were other also points where non-violence taught as part of the school scheme, uh, the Varda scheme, was unacceptable to the Indian, to all India Muslim League. So. Again, in the Varda scheme, uh, the Gandhian ideology of non-violence was being taught. Um, the Indian Muslim, all Indian Muslim League, was not against it. Um, but uh, they did not want it to be part uh, promoted um, at all. Um, and it, it alleged that... Um, the Varda scheme was meant to degrade Urdu and the Urdu script and asserted that the choice of Hindustani's spoken form of Hindi and Urdu as national languages with two scripts was misleading and a ploy to promote Hindi uh, at the expense of Urdu. Um, and they, they really wanted to absolutely keep 
Urdu at that point. Uh, the league uh, had nothing against nonviolence uh, being imparted to pupils, but it did not. It did not want to make it against a, an an absolute principle that was unacceptable to Muslims. That means because of jihad. Um, it was obviously an allusion to jihad. So as per Muslim law, jihad is acceptable. Uh, jihad is a right. It's the third most important uh, pillar of Islam or principle of Islam. Or should I say second? No, I think it's the third. Uh, I think it's I think it's the second or the third. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but yes, uh, they did not want to make it a principle, but they were not against it. And that, my dear friend, was in the 1930s. Um, at the same time, the campaign of the Muslim League against uh, Indian National Congress was relentless, like I said. They called them uh, Hindu Raj all the time, Hindu Rashtra. Um, and um, they did negotiate. Um, Pandit Nehru, Mahatma Gandhi, and Jinnah negotiated uh, again, but it was the same old arguments again and again. They were going absolutely nowhere. Um, and that was it. After that, we have, unfortunately, the war came about and which changed the scenario completely. Um, the war on the Indian sub the war in Europe in 1940 uh, meant all of a sudden that Britain wanted India to be part of the war, to send armed forces, uh, to be imp implicated in the war, but uh, Mahatma Gandhi, obviously, with his non-violent ideology, did not allow that, did not want that. He was against this, but for the first time, Mahatma, but, but uh, um, Jinnah was was for it. He agreed with it for certain con on certain conditions. Um, a position, he said, uh, we stand univocally for the freedom of India, but it must be freedom for all of India and not freedom of one section, or worse still, of the Congress caucus, slavery of Muslims and other minorities. Um, and and he he agreed, he gave his consent to be part of the um, of the war effort, which was uh, in comparison in uh, against what Mahatma Gandhi wanted. Um, completely the opposite, and that changed his position. Um, all of a sudden, instead of approaching Gandhi for everything, now, now Muhammad Ali Jinnah becomes a very important figure, and the British start consulting him on all issues. The British also give him more weightage, more leverage, uh, bringing him into talks, and use the Indian Muslim League, all Indian Muslim League, against the Congress, because they consider the Congress as radicals, uh, heretics. They also consider the Congress as socialists and allied more with uh, Soviet policies. Uh, and obviously they did not like uh, the, the Soviets who were socialists. They were capitalists, free market capitalists. And this wedge, uh, they used uh, all in the, uh, all in the Muslim League against uh, the Congress to protect themselves um, not to divide the Indian subcontinent, as people will say, uh, but because they wanted to hold on to the Indian subcontinent, but they wanted to use him um, as a, a wedge uh, to stop the trot of the Indian National Congress. So we'll stop it here, my dear friends. It is We've been talking for, for 70 minutes. It's the longest I've ever spoken. Uh, we will continue tomorrow uh, with... Uh, 
19, from 1940 to 1947, it's the most difficult part because we all know what happened there. Uh, but for now, we'll stop in 1940. Uh, I hope I've given you some important um, points to ponder, to research. I, I know all of you have got a lot of points in yourself, by yourself. And uh, I just hope for you that uh, we can have this discussion. You can have this discussion, learn from it and see how it it. it it forms the currents that form our waves uh, today. Uh, it's exactly the same thing what's going on, uh, only now the shoe's on the other foot and the, the Indian National Congress was doing everything the BJP was doing in the 1940s, but they were on the driving seat and, and they didn't have, they called them secular. Now the, the BJP is not secular um, and, and the Indian National Congress is doing exactly what Mama Dali Jinnah was doing in 1940s. Uh, so, uh, yeah, when when they point their fingers at others, they don't define who they are, but when they point their fingers at others, the Congress shows us a mirror image of who they are. So, thank you very much for your time. I wish you a great day. Peace and stay safe.